This is KX In Depth. I'm Rob Archer. And I'm Charles Feldman. It is the summer of our labor discontent. Eat your heart out, Shakespeare. <laughs> Some 11,000 Los Angeles city workers are out on a one day strike. We'll go in depth on all of it. And also a look at why so many workers have had enough and how this is all going to affect you. We start with today's strike of L.A. city workers that includes everyone from sanitation and LAX workers to lifeguards at city pools. Dion Cornelius drives a bus for LAX, and he's also, by the way, uh, a, an executive board member for uh, SEIU Local 721. Dion, thanks for being with us. Sure, no problem. So uh, a lot of people, I think, or at least some people, are thinking in terms of they hear a lot about uh, LAX, but this strike is affecting a lot of different corners of the city of Los Angeles in places that maybe a lot of people don't even think of as being a place that has people on strike. What kind of places are they? Well, your sanitation workers are are on strike as well, and it's, it just uh, it's, it goes above and beyond LAX. So sanitation workers mostly around the city, you have mechanics, you have traffic officers, you have uh, bus drivers within the uh, LAX, you have custodians. So it's a a, a large assortment of workers. So this being a one-day strike, is this a warning shot of sorts? Absolutely. This is a warning shot. Um, What we're doing is we've been disrespected in past uh, negotiations and uh, false promises, and we are just trying to gain the respect of the city and let, and let them know that we are absolutely uh, mean business, and we want to be respected in our negotiations. Dan, when you say that, that you and your fellow city workers feel disrespected from the city, by whom? Uh, is, it, is it the current mayor? Is it, is it who? It's out of the CA, CAO's office. The CAO's office is responsible uh, mostly for uh, the negotiations, and we uh, are currently uh, being lied to, uh, and we just want to be treated fairly. We don't want to be sitting at a table where someone has lied to us because it's unfair. It's unfair to the city workers and also the public. You've said now a number of times that that you've been lied to. How so? Um, we had we had uh, many promises to negotiate items that uh, affected uh, all sorts of things within the, our MOU, um, and it has not happened. Would you like the mayor uh, to step in, Mayor Karen Bass, and do you feel like she's done enough? Well, I feel like the mayor has not ha- actually had enough time to uh, get in there and and push push her her uh, her message. So uh, I think. She needs to have a clear shot at getting the job done. Wait a minute. When you, when you say you think the mayor hasn't had enough time, one would think that as the mayor of the city of Los Angeles, wouldn't she be expected to, I don't know, make time for something as important as 11,000 city workers out on strike? Uh, absolutely. Uh, however, uh, I think in negotiations, it's, it's a lot more than, we, we, uh, than meets the eye. So it, it, it's not just a, uh, okay, this is what we're going to do today. It's a give and take. So you have to negotiate. 
Now, some are saying that if the city were to give uh, the 11,000 city workers everything they're asking for and the LAPD and all these other groups uh, that are thinking about going out on strike, that it would blow a hole in the budget. Uh, how do you respond to that? Well, I'll say that one of the one of the key items that we're we're asking for is we're asking for the, we're asking for the members to um, to uh, I'm sorry, we're asking the mayor to hire hire more workers because we're very short. And so, if, for example, I work at the airport, uh, haul, uh, driving around passengers and, and uh, answering to emergency calls of a distressed airplane on the runway. And so all of the overtime that they're basically forcing us to work, some, some departments, they're mandatory over, overtime, and it's just not working. It's not good for the public. It's not safe. Why take this this sort of interim measure of uh, a one day walkout? Uh, some people I've heard some people already, uh, for example, at LAX passengers who said they didn't really notice all that much. If a lot of people didn't notice it that much, except for maybe their trash being picked up tomorrow instead of today, would you not have been better served by an actual strike as opposed to a 24 hour walkout? Well, I think right now what we're trying to do mostly is send send the message. And I think the message has been heard loud and clear. And uh, if you're on the outside, you might not see the key parts of the, of the puzzle uh, being put in place. Um, but I, I think the, the the CAO's office and the mayor uh, should get a clear message from this one-day strike. All right. Dion Cornelius uh, drives a bus for LAX, also an executive board member for SEIU Local 721. So how exactly is L.A. city government limiting disruptions from today's strike? And what about long-term contract talks with these workers? We'll get the city's perspective when we continue. You're listening to KNX In-Depth with Rob Archer. I'm Charles Feldman. And still ahead, we're going to dig into what's behind all of these labor tensions this summer. Right now, though, L.A.'s city government is insisting that disruptions of basic services from today's city workers' strike will be minimal. But what about avoiding a much bigger and more bruising strike? Bob Blumenfield is a L.A. City Council member representing the Northwest San Fernando Valley. He also, by the way, chairs the council's Budget and Finance Committee. Bob, thanks for being with us. How you doing, Bob? Couldn't hear you before, but I can hear you now. So. Okay, loud and clear. So, uh, as I was saying going into you before, uh, the question now is, this was considered by the uh, union on strike a kind of warning shot uh, that they wanted to, they say, send a message loud and clear to the city. Do you think they did? Sure. No, it was. they sent a loud and clear message. Uh, uh, you know the the strike was disruptive uh, in in many ways, but it didn't didn't disrupt some of the core activities, public safety, et cetera. Uh, they made the point. I mean, SEIU workers are a huge part of our labor force, and um, you know, and and a and a big part of why this city is successful. And so I think they they helped emphasize that with the strike, uh, and and obviously now as we move to negotiations, that will be you know certainly uh, on on folks' mind. I mean, the, the contract that they're in now goes through the end of December. So there's several months now to, to work on that on that next year's contract. Uh, you chair the Budget and Finance Committee. Uh, where is the city's budget on this? Can it absorb a shock of not just this, but anything else that's uh, on the horizon that's coming up? Well, you know, we always find a solution. So 
you know, right, you know, the budget that we passed this last year was balanced. Uh, certainly, uh, the different labor contracts that are coming up, whether it's it's the police contract that is coming up immediately, or whether it is going to be the coalition of unions that comes up, will uh, will take us into deficit. Uh, then the question as a, as a council and as a city is, how do we solve for that deficit? We, we don't run deficits per year. We solve those deficits each year. Uh, but it does mean uh, either additional revenues or, or cuts or, or different economic conditions that produce uh, one or the other. So yes, we can, we can, we can, we will absorb uh, needed just to the contracts. I mean, this, the contracts have been uh, in place that for a year and a lot has changed in that time. And we're looking at a multi-year contract uh, and inflation and everything else. Folks do deserve additional funding, et cetera. Uh, but we, but that doesn't mean there's a there's a line item in the budget to do it. We're it's going to be a struggle, and we're going to have to uh, make appropriate adjustments. So, are you saying that the union has to be what more realistic, perhaps, in its demands? Well, the, there there is not as unlike a lot of the contract the the strikes that you're seeing happening throughout the city. This is not a strike where there's a list of demands. There's no list of demands. So I can't say that they need to be more or less anything uh, because the, the the contract negotiations really are just starting uh, at this moment in time. So when you talk about uh, trying to solve for the deficit, uh, that means uh, tax increases? Not necessarily. Uh, that's that is certainly one way to solve a deficit. But, uh, you know, it you need to have either more revenues or you need to make cuts or you need to find efficiencies all or, or some combination of all the above. But at the end of the day, you need to make sure that the money that you spend is the same as the money that's coming into the city. The previous guest we had on, Bob, before you joined us, who uh, is a bus driver at LAX and a member of the union, repeatedly said that uh, the union felt, he felt, that they had been lied to repeatedly. And he used that word lie many, many times. So there must be some kind of demands involved because you can't be lied to if you have been lied to unless you want something and you feel you didn't get it. Well, I think where some of this comes in, comes to play is, is last year's contract, sort of post-COVID contract, uh, that was signed by by the unions and by the, the city management, uh, settled a number of different issues, but it also left open a number of issues to be negotiated throughout the year, which is not an ordinary, ordinary practice. And uh, that was put in place, and, and many of those items have been negotiated this year. Uh, but... The, the problem is to to what satisfaction and not necessarily to everyone's satisfaction. And so we're in that situation where we have we had a contract that was signed and it, but it left a number of items, smaller items open subject to further negotiation. Well, you know, the, the city, you know, contract negotiators say, well, we said we'd look at it, but we didn't say we'd agree to everything. Uh, and so that's where you get some conflict as to what was you know, was it a good faith agreements? Were were those negotiations? How did they come play? Are people happy with the way those negotiations have gone down? So that's where I think some of the the uh, the issues are right now in terms of looking at last year's contract and those open items. In terms of this coming contract, which is the bigger question of of once this contract is out, those negotiations really haven't haven't started in in full force yet, and that's that's really the the bigger question.
The mayor, by the way, uh, again, our previous guest from the union and a bus driver said that uh, he thought that Mayor Bass needed to have or make more time to play a role. Do you think she's playing a good role? And if so, why? And if not, why not? Well, I mean, the mayor is sort of by definition the chief the chief negotiator. She's the the the, the CEO of the city. It's not quite like a corporation because the council uh, is an equal branch of government, but but she's the face of the city uh, and and is part of the EERC committee that does the negotiations or you know or approves the negotiations. Actually, technically speaking, it's the CAO, um, the city administrative officer, who is involved in the actual negotiations. But I I think that the mayor. Um, you know, has said very clearly that she is she's available. She's open 24 seven. You know, she's a new mayor coming in uh, and she's dealing with a contract from last year that was done on a different through a different administration. So there's complications there. You know, when these issues that were left open, they were left open with a different administration. So I think things will be a lot cleaner and neater as we move forward. And she gets to be at the helm of this new contract. All right, Bob Blumenfield, L.A. City Council Member representing the Northwest, uh, San Fernando Valley. Well, if at times over the last several months it seemed like almost uh, all or most of California's workers were out on strike at one point or another, you may have a point when we come back. You're listening to KNX In-Depth with Charles Feldman. I'm Rob Archer. So how far apart are American workers and management in this summer of strikes? We'll look at all of the labor unrest over the last few months and discuss where it's leading us coming up next. Writers, actors, fast food, hotel workers, all still in the midst of either strikes or contract negotiations that are kind of contentious right now. Lorena Gonzalez-Fletcher is the Executive Secretary Treasurer of the California Labor Federation, AFL-CIO. Thanks for uh, joining us today. Thanks for having me. Are we in the midst of a bigger movement in labor than we realize? I think we are. And it's a number of factors, right? We came out of the pandemic. Um, I think that a lot of workers across industry realized that their employers actually benefited from the pandemic. Maybe they got large loans that were forgiven, um, a lot of money, an infusion of money in local government. Uh, we There was a lot of people doing quite well and a lot of profits um, from corporations that didn't take a hit. And yet the workers themselves did. And so this is the first real, um, I think, you know, contract negotiations since then. And so we're, we're seeing a lot of discontent. I think workers are standing up for themselves, empowering themselves and saying, hey, we've got to be able to make a living too. We need a part of what was successful. And it's contagious. What we're seeing going on is spreading, not just in contract negotiations, but in organizing drives as well. Are there different sets of um, issues, though, when you're dealing with those who are striking uh, or uh, forming unions in some cases uh, in the private sector, for example, uh, SAG-AFTRA, the Writers Guild, their beef, of course, against the uh, uh, movie studios, as opposed to, in the case of Los Angeles now, uh, city workers, their beef is with city government. But it seems like there would be two different kinds of issues involved, but maybe not. 
Well, I think that most workers will tell you right now that they're underpaid, that they can't make ends meet. And that is an issue that we keep hearing in every single one of these disputes, as well as organizing drives. If we can't make ends meet, we can't live where we work. We can't afford the rent um, that, you know, we can't afford the, the inflation. And so I think that's an issue that crosses all boundaries. When we look at public sector, and it's not just Los Angeles, the city of San Jose, of course, um, those workers uh, announced that they're going on strike or that they they have a strike sanction um, yesterday. So we, we're seeing this in local government, which has an additional issue, and that's usually a staffing issue. So a lot of people dropped out of the workforce. We knew that during the pandemic and uh, public sector really hasn't hired it. So you have people that are doing basically two jobs for less money. You know, as we talk about the wider issues here uh, and the bigger issues for society in general, we're looking at our system. And and for the last uh, couple of generations, it does look like the rich are getting richer, the poor are getting poorer, and the middle class is getting squeezed and in some places even disappearing. Do you think this resurging labor movement might be the cure for what ails the system right now? Well, you know, it doesn't appear that these things are happening. We know these things are happening. And we know that the only credible institution that can change that is organized labor and an increase in union density. As union density increases, uh, everybody's wages go up. We create a middle class. We saw that in the 1950s and 60s. Um, and, and that's what we need now. So yes, I think the the last few decades we have been, um, workers have been under attack. They've been pressured. We've seen the middle class start to disappear or become very, very thin. And as a result, um, you see a, a cost a class cross class solidarity that is just stunning so you you get the that the writers and actors understand that they have more in common with the hotel housekeeper than either of them have in common with the ceo their 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 wages are closer together than either of them are with the ceo and that's causing um i think almost i don't want to i don't want to say a revolution but it's causing a, a an empowerment of workers across sector kind of a revolution Kind of. <laughs> Put that on the side. All right. Lorena Gonzalez-Fletcher, Executive Secretary Treasurer of the California Labor Federation, AFL-CIO. Okay. Uh, so why all of these strikes now? We've touched on some of the reasons, but there are others. So when we come back, why labor tensions seem to be coming to a head this summer. You're listening to KNX In-Depth with Rob Archer. I'm Charles Felton. All right. It started back in March when LAUSD support workers went on strike. Since then, we've seen dock workers at the Ports of LA and Long Beach, fast food and hotel workers, actors and writers, of course, are still on strike. And there is a common theme here. Workers that had been earning solid middle class wages, they argue that it's simply not enough anymore. So we're talking with two experts on this strike summer. Kent Wong directs the UCLA Labor Center. Previously, previously he was a staff attorney at the SEIU. Also with us is John McNutt, who is an employment and labor attorney who has represented the likes of entertainment, manufacturing, retail and transportation management in labor negotiations. Gentlemen, thank you both for being with us. Thank you. Rob, thank you for having us. Uh, uh, let me start with you, John. Uh, why are we seemingly having, uh, we started off the, the show saying, uh, you know, uh, that this is a summer of our labor discontent, uh, which again, I'm, I'm sure has Shakespeare rolling in his grave. But 
It is, in some ways. Why now? It's a combination of factors. I think it has to do with uh, the pandemic and recovery from the pandemic. And also um, I, I, the concept that unions are having, um, uh, they're gaining more power as uh, as the days go on. A lot of it has to do with the, the existing strike and using uh, strikes as a weapon uh, in the negotiation process, sometimes even before the negotiation process begins. Uh, John uh, mentioned the uh, pandemic there. Uh, was that kind of a precursor? Because we saw in the pandemic uh, some workers who were able to still work, uh, work from home. And a lot of them really enjoyed it, enjoyed it so much more that they were quitting in droves for a while. We had we had uh, quiet quitting. We had people just walking away from these jobs, finding something else that let them work from home. Uh, workers began to feel more of their own power. And at some point, uh, we were also looking at uh, businesses saying that they were short of workers. They couldn't hire enough. They were, they were upping their wages and trying to hire more people. Was that kind of like a pre-quake for what's happening now, as the workers now realize, you know what, we've had some of this power all along. Let's use it while we can. I think the pandemic allowed people to look at their particular situations and decide whether or not they were happy with what they were earning or their working conditions. And a lot of times people found that either a a different working environment or maybe a different employer altogether uh, would work better for them. Um, those who didn't have the mobility very often uh, looked to unions as a resource to uh, gain what they thought would be better benefits or better wages. Um, also, we had a com- combined uh, impact of inflation. Uh, there was at least a relatively brief moment in time where inflation was extremely high. Uh, certainly, everyone was seeing prices increase. Um, and although that has come down uh, considerably since that peak, um, there is still the effect that people are feeling. Kent, uh, let me ask you this question. It's a kind of wider question than just the uh, the strikes, uh, but it is connected. Is there room anymore in the state of California, in Southern California, let's be even more specific, in Southern California, is there room anymore for a viable middle class? I think that the strikes and organizing that's taking place is very much a demand to Uh, expand the middle class. And what we have seen is that uh, during the pandemic, economic inequality has been growing, Uh, that we have uh, massive profits, that uh, Wall Street is doing great, Uh, CEO compensations are through the roof, and yet workers who have been applauded as essential workers have really not seen uh, an impact with regard to their wages and working conditions improving. All right, our guests for the rest of the show, uh, Kent Wong with the UCLA Labor Center, also John McNutt, an attorney who sometimes represents management in uh, labor negotiations. He's going to stay with us on the rest of the show as we talk about the summer of our labor discontent here on In-Depth. It continues. You're listening to KDX In-Depth. I'm Rob Archer, along with Charles Felbin. There are rough estimates that at least half a million American workers have gone on strike in their respective industries so far in 2023. Why now? And is there labor peace on the horizon? Sticking with us for this last segment on In-Depth, we've got Kent Wong, who's director of the UCLA Labor Center, and John McNutt, who is an employment and labor attorney at the L.A. firm uh, Music Peeler. I think I got that right. Did I got that right, John? Music Peeler? You did, yes. Music Peeler and Garrett. Okay, very good. So, John, let me let me start then asking you this. I wonder how much a 
administration in Washington has an impact on organized labor. By that, I mean, do you think that there's an acceleration, or at least there appears to be one, of union drives, uh, strikes, strike threats, because it's perceived that at the moment there is a union-friendly administration in Washington, the Biden administration, and there's a perhaps concern that the next presidential election might bring a less friendly uh, labor organization to power. I would completely agree. The uh, current presidential administration is certainly perceived as more friendly, and it makes a huge difference with who is in office because the president decides uh, for large part uh, who makes up the governing body over the National Labor Relations Act, which is the, the body of laws that we're talking about here for the most part. Um, what the Biden administration has done and the Biden National Labor Relations Board has done have uh, allowed unions more flexibility in what they need to do, have made the cases more friendly uh, for the union side as opposed to the management side. And that has been a huge sea shift from the Trump administration. Kent, what about you? What do you think? Uh, I completely agree with uh, John's comments that uh, Joe Biden has been a very strong friend of unions and workers nationally. the reality, however, is that even under Donald Trump, uh, we saw a major upsurge in worker organizing and worker activity, in part in resistance to some of the anti-union uh, policies that uh, Donald Trump uh, was generating. Uh, Kent, let me ask you from the labor side, is there awareness, uh, concern of jumping the shark? So many strikes, so many labor movements right now. At some point, you know, those do affect other people not involved directly in the negotiations. For example, the writers and actors strike in in Hollywood is affecting a lot of uh, peripheral businesses. And we've talked to some of them, some restaurants, et cetera, prop masters. They're they're laying off people and and telling us that, uh, hey, I can survive, but not for much longer. Uh, is there concern that maybe this will go too far and it will turn the general public against labor? The reality is that uh, union sentiment is at a 50-year high, and the general public understands that workers are uh, organizing, are launching strikes uh, in order to fight for the middle class, and that uh, within the entertainment industry, we have seen uh, massive profits. We've seen uh, CEO salaries you know, uh, at an all-time high, and yet uh, workers within that industry are facing economic insecurity. So I do think that uh, the point of a strike is disruption, and that uh, the hope of the striking workers is that that will uh, more effectively mobilize pressure on uh, the corporations to do the right thing and to uh, negotiate fairly at the bargaining table. John, to uh, borrow from aviation, do we need to keep our seatbelts fastened? Are we a going to be heading into, do you think, uh, more turbulence, or is there some clear air ahead? I'm certainly not seeing much clear air ahead. Uh, there is a lot of uh, discontent. I think unions are seizing on this uh, this time period as an opportunity to advance their agenda in a lot of ways. And uh, you, you, a couple segments ago, you made the, the comparison between public and private employees and employers. And there is a huge difference between uh, public and private employers. And I think when we have public employers who are largely decided by the legislators, uh, where they go, how much they offer in the negotiations, um, they look to tax dollars for that. 
And there, when you have a, an almost unlimited resource of pool of money that taxpayer uh, provides, um, it's much easier for the public employers to respond to these types of things. Uh, but public, excuse me, private employers don't have the same benefit. They don't have the ability to tap uh, you know, an almost unlimited resource to increase wages and change working conditions, even if they want to sometimes. They're responsive to their customers or to their board, and they have to be very sensitive to what their bottom line is, whereas the public employers don't have to respond that way. Uh, John, from the uh, management perspective, you know, management generally in America, management wants to pay the workers as little as possible, and the workers want to make as much money as possible. Do you think management might give in to this labor summer, this hot labor summer, but the next time down the road, they're going to steal their backs a bit and uh, take a firmer stand? No, I actually think uh, employers, I'll disagree with you. I think employers are understanding that a, a workforce who is at least content with the benefits and the wages that they have is an important part of their business. And so uh, when we, and it, one of the, the, the difficult parts about the current strike for the city workers is that they haven't, normally a strike is designed to uh, be an impact when someone has reached impasse in negotiations. And in this case, there have been no negotiations, there have been no impasse reached. So in this case, it's used as, as, I, as I mentioned before, a weapon uh, to set a political agenda for the unions. And so it, it, workers kind of get uh, lost in the mix uh, where employers are having to respond to this ahead of time. And they haven't even had the, the chance to sit down at the table and negotiate with the unions and reach what can be a fair agreement between the two sides. Let me try to get a, a quick yes or no answer from both of you on this question. And the question uh, is, do you guys think that this one day strike accomplished anything? Kent, yes or no, did it? Yes, it absolutely uh, mobilized uh, the attention of the public with regard to the challenges facing Los Angeles city workers and uh, by and large uh, put pressure on uh, the city to negotiate. John McNutt? Yes, in the short term, but I think long term there can be a backlash uh, as a result of tactics like this. All right. Kent Wong, director of UCLA Labor Center. John McNutt, employment labor attorney at the L.A. firm Music Peeler. Well, that's going to do it for KNX In-Depth today, our special edition on the hot labor summer of our discontent. Thank you, Charles, for appropriating some Shakespeare there. We'll be back tomorrow at 1 p.m.